0: Well, things have taken a turn for the worst for our friends, the Israelites, since last week's lesson, where uh, we saw Joseph help his family move into Egypt after interpreting Pharaoh's dream about abundance and famine, and so all of his brothers and all of their families have now been in Egypt for a few generations, and um, they have prospered and flourished in that place. Um, But scripture tells us that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph, that knew what Joseph and his God had done for his people, well, that Pharaoh was gone. And it was a new day and a new administration. And uh, they no longer looked favorably upon the Israelites. In fact, they viewed them not as friends and neighbors, but as aliens and intruders in their land. And they took away their rights, and they turned them into slave labor. It got so bad that Pharaoh even told the midwives that if an Israelite child is born and it's a male, they were to kill it. But the midwives trusted in God more than they trusted in Pharaoh, and resisted his decree and because of that Moses was born and Moses was hidden away until he got a little too big to hide and so they came up with a plan and they put him in a basket and they put him in the reeds so that Pharaoh's daughter would find him and he would be raised up in Pharaoh's household which is what happened until one day Moses went out into the land to look around and see what was going on and even though he had a life of privilege and affluence, he couldn't believe the way that the Egyptians were treating the Israelites. And he let his anger get the better of him and he killed an Egyptian who he saw beating an Israelite slave. And of course Pharaoh got word of it and asked for his head and so Moses escaped to the land of Midian where he met his wife Zipporah and began to work For her dad, Jethro. Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. And God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has come to me now. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So my question for you today is have you seen a burning bush? I'm not talking about a forest fire or a brush fire or even burning some of the scrub brush in your backyard. I'm talking about the kind of burning bush described in the story from Exodus. Have you seen a burning bush? Because if, you, if your first response is to say, no, I want you to think about that for a moment. Are you sure that you haven't? Because Moses didn't expect to have an encounter with God Moses didn't go out there expecting to have a conversation with the living God quite the contrary Moses was in his routine he was doing what he did day to day watching over Jethro's flock Moses had his routine he had his agenda he was on his path he knew what to do next it was familiar expected comfortable even But then something happened, and he looked. And he saw something extraordinary. Now, Moses could have just kind of closed his eyes, shook his head, and said, Wow, that was weird. But he didn't. He could have dismissed it as a trick of the eye. He could have explained it away. But instead, we hear that he turned aside. He turned aside from his familiar and comfortable path. He turned aside from his routine, from what he knew best, and began to walk toward the unknown. And that's when we read that the Lord spoke to him, called out to him, and everything changed. His life was transformed, and not only his life, the life of many other people. So I ask you again, have you seen a burning bush? I was talking to Brent earlier today, and Brent assured me that in this place, we call them God sightings. Places where you've seen God at work in your world and in your life. Places where you were aware that God was present. Because you see, you and I, we get, we get busy with our lives. We have things to do. We have our families to take care of, our schoolwork to do, our jobs, whatever it is. Even in the church, we get busy. We're locked into our routine and kind of put the blinders on and just move forward. I often have wondered how many burning bushes God placed around that wilderness until Moses finally looked up and noticed. You see, one of the best reasons for us to gather here together as people of faith, as we praise and worship God, is to challenge one another to look up, to be aware of what's around us, to turn aside from the routine and the comfortable the familiar and the ordinary and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to God's presence, to the ways that God is calling us to be in the world. You and I have experienced God's love. I imagine that's why you're here. And through our fellowship and worship together, we know that whether we feel like we're in Egypt or whether we feel like we're out in the wilderness or even that we've arrived in the promised land, God is present. God hears our cries. God knows our names and loves us. We live in a world where not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that they're loved and that their lives matter. If we don't tell them, who will? So let us remind one another to turn aside from time to time, to break out of our routine and what's comfortable, to step out in faith, to risk. Because in that risk and in that unknown there is joy and there is meaning and there is love and grace. For us, yes. But also for all that we serve, all that we encounter, all who are longing to hear that God is here. For me, when I think about burning bushes, I think about a few years back when I had the opportunity to be in New Orleans. I was there on a mission trip with some high school youth and adults, and we were taking a bus tour, and Pastor Leon Philpot was our tour guide, and he was at the front of the bus with a microphone, and we drove around the streets of New Orleans to all the places where there was devastation from after Katrina. This was three years after Katrina. And there were places that looked as if the hurricane had happened three weeks before. And there were other places where you saw new life, where you saw villages rising up like flowers growing in a junkyard. And Pastor Leon said to us, I don't know if you know this, but you are on holy ground right now. And I didn't know what he meant by that. Until I went back to this passage and read it again and realized, yes, God is present here. God is with these people in the midst of destruction, but also in the midst of hope and new life. And God is calling us. Calling us to help in whatever way we can for those who feel like they are in Egypt. To bring them out. Toward the Promised Land. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for all the ways that you are present in our lives and in the world. Help us to help one another see, to notice, to become aware, to turn aside from the comfortable and the routine. To witness to your presence and to participate in the mission you call us to there's so much work to be done and you call us your people to do it may we understand the blessing that you've given us as a means to bless others in Jesus name we pray amen let us pray Gracious God, we know that everything that we have, all that we are, are gifts of grace from you. Please bless these gifts that we have brought before you today, that they might be used to strengthen your kingdom, to be blessings to others, so that all might know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Moses finally agreed to take the mission that God had given him, but not with a lot lot of argument. He was like us. He thought he was unworthy, that he didn't have the gifts needed. It was too daunting of a task until God reminded him that God would always be there with him, that his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam would help as well. And so with all of their help, eventually... Moses did lead the people out of Egypt. But not right into the Promised Land. They had some learning to do, some educating to do about what it means to be God's people. So God took them out into the wilderness. They were in the wilderness only about six weeks before they got what I like to refer to as um, the good old days syndrome. Six weeks. They began to grumble. They were getting hungry. The whole assembly complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, If only God had taken our lives in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and had our fill of bread. For you have taken us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And God said to Moses, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And every day the people shall go out and collect enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. So Moses... And Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see his glory. Because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. The good old days. Back in Egypt when we were slaves and forced labor." That was the good old days, because they at least had their bellies filled. They'd already forgotten who it was that rescued them from oppression. And here they were out in the wilderness complaining and whining to Moses and Aaron and to God. I'm trying to imagine what would have happened if they had done that same whining and complaining to Pharaoh. But how does God respond? God rains down bread from heaven. The people had food, bread, meat, sweet water to drink. Even as they complained, even as they lost their faith, even as they refused to trust that God would always care for them, God fed them. You see, we worship a God who feeds us who gives us all that we need we have all that we need on this planet for every person every animal every creature it gets to be a bit of a distribution problem not an abundance problem we worship a god who feeds us who gives us everything that we need we even Pray about it in the Lord's Prayer with the petition, Give us this day our daily bread. Martin Luther, almost 500 years ago, wrote a little book called The Small Catechism. In that book, he, it was designed to give to families to share with their children the basics of the Christian faith. So he talked about the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer and the Sacrament of Baptism and the Sacrament of Communion. And as he describes the different petitions in the Lord's Prayer, he gets to the one about daily bread. And I brought it out so I could get the words right. Martin Luther asked the question, what is meant by daily bread? And this is how he answers Daily bread includes everything needed for this life, such as food and clothing, home and property, work and income, a devoted family, an orderly community, good government, favorable weather, peace and health, a good name, and true friends and neighbors. In short, all that we need to live a good life, God has provided for us. Martin Luther says, God gives us these things even when we don't pray this prayer. But we pray this prayer so we remember where they came from. So that we might live lives of gratitude. So that we who have more than enough can make sure that those who don't have enough. Our daily bread. Given Martin Luther's description, you and I are daily bread for one another in the ways that we care for each other, listen to each other, pray for one another. And you and I are daily bread for the people we meet out in the world, our friends and neighbors, yes, even strangers and enemies. We are called to be daily bread. We are fed so that we in turn will feed, just as Abraham was blessed To be a blessing so that his descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. We have been fed by God. But it goes beyond just the food and clothing and the things that care for our physical needs. God also provides all that we need for our spiritual needs, for our souls, for our lives eternal. So God became human. Lived among us. Lived and taught, and healed, and preached, and died on a cross, and rose again, so that we might have new life with God. I've told some of you this story. Maybe maybe some of you have read the book. There's a woman living in San Francisco. Her name is Sarah Miles. She wrote a book called Take This Bread. She's written a few others since. She was raised an atheist. Her parents wanted them to have nothing to do with the church. She knew nothing about what church was about. And one Sunday morning, she happened to be going for a walk. And she walked past a church building that she'd walked past many times before. But for some reason today, like Moses, she turned aside. You see, this was her burning bush. And she walked into that building, she didn't know exactly why, and she sat down and she listened to the hymns that they were singing and she listened to the minister preach and she found herself getting up with the rest of the congregation and moving around a table where there was bread and there was wine. And before she knew it, someone was handing her a piece of bread and said the body of Christ and gave it to her. And in her words, everything changed. Everything changed for her. The power of God's presence in our lives when we open our hearts is phenomenal. She came back again and again to learn more and to worship and to get this bread that she didn't even know she craved. And if you go there today, on any Friday, you will see a line of people down the street who are coming into the worship space that is loaded with produce and dry good foods being fed by their food pantry. That all began because a woman who knew nothing about God walked into a church and was handed a piece of bread. The body of Christ... God feeds us, not only for our bodies, but for our souls, for all of our lives. A few years back, somebody conducted a poll, and they asked a simple question. They said, what word or phrase would you most like to have uttered to you by someone you love? What word or phrase would you like to have somebody say to you sincerely, somebody who is part of your life? Any guesses about the number one response? I love you. Any guesses about response number two? I forgive you. Anyone want to hazard a guess of number three? Supper is ready. (laughs) I love you. I forgive you. Supper is ready. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. We pray together as our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God comes to us and says, I love you. I forgive you. Supper is ready.